Hello, everyone, and welcome to EHS on Tap. I'm your host, Justin Scase, Senior Editor of the EHS Daily Advisor, and we hope that all of our listeners are doing all they can to remain healthy and safe during the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. Now today, EHS on Tap is kicking off the EHS Daily Advisor's Safety Culture Week with a brand new episode that promises to both inform and entertain. I'm very excited to be joined by the Safety Justice League, a group of safety nerds who are constantly on the lookout for safety superheroes. This intrepid league of professionals are speakers, authors, and fellow podcasters with a combined experience of over a half century in the safety field. And in addition to today's podcast, they will also be joining us for a panel discussion at our next EHS Now event on November 11th. So without further ado, I am pleased to introduce the Safety Justice League, Abby Ferry, Jason Lucas, and Jason Maldonado. Thank you all so much for joining us today on the EHS on Tap podcast. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for having us. Happy to be here. Absolutely. It's great to have you. So let's start things off by going around the room, as it were, and introducing ourselves. Uh, could you uh, all tell our audience a little bit about who you are and what your backgrounds in safety are like? I'll go first. <laughs> I beat the two Jasons to it. Um, hey, I'm I'm Abby Ferry, and I go by Safety Abby. It's not really a superhero thing, but just a social media thing to make it easy. But I come through the safety field from the academic route. So I started in college, went through a master's of environment, health, and safety program, and got into construction right away. And I've been in construction ever since um, with some uh, detours and whatnot into insurance as well and consulting for myself. And that's how I got here with the intrepid Safety Justice League. And I'm going to go the opposite route because my my route to safety actually came up through operations. I started in in industrial services in operations and then found my way into safety as quickly as I could. Um, uh, I have social media safety minute is kind of my social media thing. I try to make a complex safety issues as simplified as possible and and hopefully share them and share the how to do them better in a minute or less. Uh, so that, that's, that's me. I've been around for a little while. Yeah. He, he makes up most of that half century. Just this so is true. Know. This is true. <laughs> with the, with... Now, and, um, and my, my journey into safety was a little bit different as, uh, than the other two as well. I started out in the United States air force in, uh, munition systems and I actually had no intention to do anything with safety. Uh, but I got selected to do a, a really cool project that was centered around reliability and trying to figure out and predict where missile assets would go bad before they actually did. And, uh, and that really set me off into this new frame of thinking and really looking for how to prevent things before bad things happen. So that's really how I got my start into safety. I got out of the military and I've worked in chemical operations, construction, food manufacturing, uh, power industry, utilities, uh, bunch of experience there and and now on with this group and doing great things in communication and, and media and marketing. So uh, my online presence is known as Relentless Safety, where I do a lot of writing and blogging and it's kind of how I got connected with these two. That is true. That's awesome. Some uh, really diverse backgrounds there, but all coming together for uh, the betterment of safety. So 
you are all uh, collectively known as the Safety Justice League. Uh, could you tell me a little bit about what the Safety Justice League is, uh, what its goals are, and how you are going about um, helping EHS professionals create safer workplaces? I, you know, when I think of the the beginning of Safety Justice League, I think it kind of started in frustration and just mutually feeling that frustration Very and needing so. a sounding yeah. board. Yeah, I think we we kind of felt collectively, you know, being at sort of a midpoint in our career. And this was something, you know, the interesting part about Safety Justice League is that it's not a name that we picked. It's something that that kind of grew into its own. Uh, we actually just started collaborating together, making these little videos that we call the Ask a Safety Pro. And the idea was, you know, there's all these struggles that we went through coming up through our sort of formative years. And we didn't have very many people to reach out to or bounce ideas off of, have that sounding board, like Abby said. So we started creating these videos and then they in turn created conversations. And the the interest in that dynamic and that sort of sharing was really what we saw as something missing from the safety field. So that's what we wanted to take and and build on and really provide a, a voice for some of these ideas and, and even some of these people in, in the safety arena that just don't have a, maybe just don't think that they have something worth saying. Uh, but they do really have some great ideas and and great thoughts. You know, I'm really glad that you brought up the voice for the voiceless idea, Jason, because that was kind of our intention from the very beginning, because, you know, we've, we've all felt like lone wolves sometimes out there in the safety field. And, and we didn't want people to feel alone anymore. We wanted to give them not only a voice, but also an ear to listen to the things that they were struggling with and hopefully being able to provide as a collective to be able to provide some good advice. And, and, and you know what, sometimes it's not the advice that they need. It's just somebody to go, man, I know, I hear you. That sucks. And, and just listen to the, to what they're struggling with. And, and we're, we've been really trying to look to provide that. It's kind of weird to think of podcasters as being listeners, but I feel like we do listen um, to our listeners, if that doesn't sound awkward enough. But I, I envision that the listeners of the podcast are driving to their work site and they're listening and they might be talking along with us or like what Jason just said, just kind of like, oh, that's so true. And that's what we're really aiming for is just kind of having more camaraderie, even though we have to do it virtually now. Absolutely. That's great. Such a, such a creative and engaging way to, you know, reach out to that, um, uh, that audience of safety professionals who might be looking for their voice. Um, now we've assembled you all here for a podcast episode, kicking off the EHS daily advisors, safety culture week. So let's, uh, talk about safety culture a little bit. How does safety culture fit into each of your safety philosophies and what are the challenges and opportunities um, that are uh, facing safety culture at organizations today? I'll start. So, um, yeah, okay. yeah, for me, I feel like safety culture is a byproduct that I know a lot of people, they set out to like form a safety culture or grow or establish a safety culture. But I feel that it's something that just, it happens and your culture, you don't choose your culture. Your culture chooses you in the safety culture sense that what you're putting into it based on activities and what you're asking people to do as far as activities and participation, that that the end product is your safety culture. And I know some safety professionals aren't that happy with the culture that they have at their organization, 
which is why this is a topic. Um, but I think it's something that it's activity based. Yeah, I think for me, it's it's about figuring out work, you know, because we have been traditionally and and part partly on it's on us, it's our fault. Uh, but we've been traditionally siloed in industry. You know, safety is the form you fill out at the beginning of the job. It's the permit that you have to do before you can go in the confined space. It's the thing you've got to check off the list before you do the real work. And I know that's a really, really, you know, narrow version and and way to look at safety. But if you think of it in the terms of, or in the eyes of the worker who's who's out there turning the wrenches and doing these these tasks, a lot of times that's what they hear. And that's why you get the eye rolls when you have, oh, we got to have a safety meeting right now. And what we've really tried to do or what, what I think drives safety culture is figuring out how to make safety fit into your business rather than it be anything extra or bureaucratic or, or burdensome. Uh, and, and granted, there's going to be those things because compliance is required. But I think we've gone in some cases so far to the compliance approach or so far out in, in the compliance approach that we've forgotten that people are, are the ones that are actually doing the work that needs to be compliant, that needs to be safe. And in order to have a good culture, they have to believe that safety is just another piece, another part of uh, another component of the work that they're doing. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to actually take what both of them said and, and, and wrap it up in an, in an easier package, um, kind of like a social media safety minute, but you know, Hey, whatever, uh, the thing, <laughs> the thing what he just said is that we ramble and he's, he's nice you know, and to the point. Yes, that was my nice home. way of saying that, but you know, Hey, it's okay. No, I really, truly culture comes down to, do you care about your people or not? Because, you know, if you're, if you're showing that you care about your people and you have a people first mentality, then culture is going to fall into place. We, like Jason was saying, there's things that we have to, that we have to do regulation wise, things like that. But, you know, really it boils down to, you know, fitting within those parameters. Are we doing whatever it takes to care for our people and to make sure that they're, they're as safe as they possibly can, because that has to be priority in everything we choose to do. I was waiting for you to say people over everything. Well, that was coming, but I was like, you know, hang on. I'll, I'll, I'll save that one for later. <laughs> Don't steal his thunder. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you know so, i heard i heard maldonado means people over everything in yeah. uh in in israeli there oh, you go. do we get a new one yeah we got to do one. <laughs> okay <laughs> all right well thank you for all the that uh insight into safety culture and how much it really means to organizations um now what do you all think are going to be the biggest challenges facing facing safety in in general in the next year or the next five years or even the next decade? And how are organizations going to need to adapt in order to protect their workforces? So two things. I, I think there's there's in my mind there's kind of two sides of this, and one of them is the immediate uh, immediate approach that we're going to have to take as the safety profession. I think. And, and I may get a little bit of flack for this. I think that we need to, or we, we have to sort of rise out of the ashes a little bit after kind of seeing the value that some organizations have placed on safety in the light of COVID-19. Um, we've all seen it, heard it, been around it where, you know, the safety function was the first one to get cut, especially during this time, um, or even those that were, you know, essential workers during the quarantine. 
you know, really got sidelined in, in, in the interest of HR or, um, you know, production being at, at bare minimum, but still having to produce and those types of things. So I think it, it shed some needed light on where we need to improve uh, as a profession. And then and as a business, again, I'm going to go back to it because I don't think it, it can be said enough in business we have to be able to integrate we have to be able to make safety part of the work that we're doing uh, rather than something extra and added i want to go even more cynical on this path i i've been really concerned that safety professionals haven't been the people that our workforce are turning to or even that media is turning to right now when we're talking about literally workplace safety and health and so uh, a challenge I see is just continuing on the same path of safety, always having to um, establish their legitimacy or their worth and value in their organization and within their industry and amongst other similar professions as well. So I feel it's even a more cynical or existential kind of problem that we have. And it's the pandemic has just made me personally look at it in a completely different way on why aren't people asking us questions that yeah. I see other people answering in the media. Yeah. Not, not just the, the question answering Abby, but I'll, I'll, I'll take it even further. And I think, you know, one of the biggest challenges that we're going to face, you know, in the next year, the next five years, or even the next decade is if safety doesn't start getting a seat at the table, in decision-making from an operational standpoint, then we're going to continue to see the same path that we've seen for the past decade, for the past year, for the past five years. So it, there has to be decision-makers who are in safety at the seat at the table because th then maybe people will start asking safety people the, the questions that they're asking others right now. That's a great point. If I could just toss out an extra question there, how does safety get that seat at the table? Uh, what What do you guys think uh, that they need to do in order to get in that position? We we need to stop being safety. <laughs> 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 no, we we need to figure out how um, we need to integrate into business. We have been so traditionally siloed. You know how many safety. Uh, OSHA regulation waivers, do you know, that run around telling everybody on site what's compliant and not, and what's not compliant? You know, that's, it's such a skewed focus that we've, we've placed on ourselves when we really need to be looking at, at how do we facilitate safe work? You know, how do we, rather than roadblock and obstruct, how do we really make people understand that we can do it better? We can do it faster. We can do it more cost effective. So again, I, we need to stop being safety. We need to start being business oriented and, and have a business mindset and really understand what it is that makes our, our companies tick. Because if we're not making money, we don't have jobs. So, you know, the, the idea that, that it's safety above everything is, is something that I, we really need to reevaluate. And, and that's not to say that we'd ever put lives at risk, but we need to figure out where the balance is and how how we can facilitate safe work. 
Yeah. A lot of safety professional skills are things that a business should be really excited about. The fact that we are out on the work sites, we're boots on the ground, we're right there with the frontline workers. And also the fact that we have to communicate with multiple levels of people at an organization. Like Those are amazing skills that should be wanted right now in this pandemic and should be wanted moving forward. Um, so I think it's a matter of safety people really digging into those skills that we have. And like Jason said, um, stop being safety. You know, it's you're a great communicator, not you're a great safety communicator. So uh, pivoting those skills into how they fit with the greater goals of the business, I think is really important. And I think for me, uh, you know, there, you, you think about the seats at the table and sales is always going to be a seat at the table along with operations and, and other areas of, of influence. But I think that we, we have a marketing problem in safety. I, th- I don't think we market ourselves very well. Um, you know, the, the idea that each and every day safety is selling safety. So a safety professional is a salesman because they're selling safety to the people in the field. They're selling safety to the management. They're selling safety to the client, to the customer. They're, they're, they're selling safety. So that maybe it's a marketing issue. Maybe it's just we don't market ourselves as, as executives. We don't market ourselves as people who deserve a seat at the table, and therefore we're just left out of it. Well, here's a problem is that safety professionals, maybe some listening to this are like, well, I don't want to have to sell safety. I shouldn't have to sell safety. So I think, yeah, like it's common (laughs) sense. Um, So I think the attitudes that a lot of safety professionals have are getting in our way, which I think you guys both alluded to already. So maybe instead of selling that, we look at things more of how we're influencing and how we're guiding or one of you guys mentioned um, facilitating or coordinating, like all these different types mm-hmm. of words that are great business skills that I think are are something that safety does, but we don't really give ourselves that credit or understand that those are the skills that we're using when we do safety. Well, and I, I think I'll take it back then to way before we ever met. You know, for me, when I was getting out of the Air Force, one of the things that that people were just in awe of because I got out right at, you know, right in the midst of, of the recession and it was just not a good time for, for trying to get a job or anything like this. And so all the people that I served with were like, dude, how are you going to, you know, how are you going to have a job? How are you going to, you know, keep a roof over your head and do all this stuff? All we do is build bombs. You know, we were munitions technicians and I said, no, that's not true. You, you maintain an inventory of worth, you know, $5 million of, state-of-the-art test equipment it's all in the wording it's all in the again in the marketing like jason said it's about how you sell yourself and the product that you actually offer it is not a list of rules in an ocean manual it's how people interact with each other it's whether or not they're comfortable doing a task uh, whether they even understand if they're uncomfortable and trying to figure out figure out you know, where those pain points are, what are the, where are the things that are just nagging and annoying and not right in the process and, and really trying to iron those things out. And it goes so much further than, uh, than that, you know, old compliance trope. Absolutely. Great. Well, thank you for all those thoughts. Um, now, one thing is, you know, since we've got the Safety Justice League here, I think we need to close by having a little bit of fun and addressing an important question. Which superhero do you think is most emblematic of safety and why? 
Argo, so just get it out of the I, way. You're gonna oh, go for it. Get it, get it <laughs> over with. You're gonna hate my answer. Um, my my pick, and I actually did uh, did do a lot of thinking about this. I'm like, what superhero? And and I got to preface it by saying that I'm almost vehemently opposed to the idea of safety people being represented as superheroes. And I know that <laughs> given the fact that we're on a show called the Safety Justice League. Um, I think anybody that's listened to us for a long time knows that, that our passion is not to promote ourselves as any kind of heroes. In fact, that's our tagline. We're no superheroes. Uh, so for me, the, the, the most representative of the safety professional in the comic book world has got to be kick-ass. Because um, <laughs> he doesn't have any superpowers and he gets the crap beat out of him all the time, but he keeps pushing and he keeps moving forward and eventually... You know, he he makes it through and and uh, and beats the bad guy. So that's awesome. <laughs> I like that. Um, I wish it was my answer. It's not. I I've been very heavily influenced by my daughter's superhero influences lately, and so at my house, it's all Spider Man or some version of the Spider Verse at all times. And so that resonated with me and with safety because it's your friendly neighborhood Spider Man. You know, it could be anybody um, picking up the torch and, and being that person. And I like to have safety champions and embedded safety people, um, almost like a network, a web, if you will, of safety people throughout <laughs> an organization. But I'm all right. The, uh, honestly, uh, out of all the questions, this is probably the one that I thought about the most. Right. And, and, I, <laughs> it, 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 and it's it's crazy that you say that, but you know, and and mine is going to sound pretty similar to to Jason Maldonado's, but for me, it's Wolverine, and it, it's Wolverine for a very specific, well, a couple of specific reasons. One, he takes damage all the time, but he recovers and he keeps going and he keeps fighting and he keeps trying and 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 it looks like he's down, but he's but he's still around. And and the other thing is is there's there's a certain aggressive nature um, that, that Wolverine has that, that I think that a lot of people in safety or safety as a whole has to have. And it, and it's cause we're aggressively looking towards the safety of our employees. So yeah, my choice is Wolverine. That's brilliant. You know, I actually thought about this question a little bit, uh, too, and, uh, I was waiting to see what, what, uh, what you all came up with. The one that kept coming back to my mind was, uh, Batman, but a very specific Batman, you know, not the Adam West Batman, but the one in the Dark Knight trilogy. Uh, I, I took it a little bit literally on the safety front. Cause I'm like, Hey, you know, he's, He's airbrushing his uh, his armor and he's wearing his EHMR. You know, everything is uh, he he's I'll tell you, there is so much fall protection in Batman. He's another guy who doesn't have a superpower. And every time he hurts himself, he comes up with, you know, some new grappling hook or something to make sure that it doesn't happen again. Right. Um, but I wanted to close with one thing that's connected Uh you know, in the third Batman movie there, you know, Batman's trying to crawl out of this dungeon and he's always using a rope for safety to get out. And the only way that he's eventually able to get out is by not using the rope. So the question that I have is, do you think that there is too much messaging out there that it's like the only way to really uh, move forward is by sort of ignoring safety, uh, whether it's intentional or not, but do you think that that's problematic in safety messaging in general? 
So I have a quick thought on this based on a podcast we just aired with um, Sharon Lipinski. She's the habit mastery superhero or a habit superhero. So it's really fitting. But one of her, um, one of the statements she she gave in our podcast was that the answers are in the room. And so I don't think so much as like you're ignoring safety, you're ignoring the rope, but maybe by trying to bring in all these different tools and gadgets and things that you're ignoring what you've got just within, um, in your brain or within your organization, instead of bringing in someone from the outside. Yeah. yeah and I, I want to piggyback on that too, and bring back Jason's idea of marketing, because I think a lot of times the, the message is well, well intended is misdirected. You know, there's so much out there. And if you go on LinkedIn or even some of the Facebook safety groups that, that have discussions, the, the overwhelming resonating theme for me is that we do a really good job of talking to each other. You know, safety people are, we're geeky, we're nerdy, we like talking about safety, but once we get outside of our little clique and our little group, I think we, we kind of fall on deaf ears sometimes, and that's because we just haven't learned how to point the message in the right direction. And so, again, for that marketing aspect, we really have to figure out what it is that's, that's making the worker tick. They have a different life than we do. And that's not, that's not a, a class thing or anything like that. It's, it's just a, a statement of reality. So if we don't figure out how to direct our safety messages to them, it may be the, the coolest, flashiest, most awesome PowerPoint presentation you've ever done. But if it doesn't make somebody safer at the end of the day, then we didn't really do what we were supposed to be doing in the first place. So I think that that messaging, that marketing, that branding has to get really on point and really targeted to the people that are actually doing the work rather than the, you know, the people that are just nerdy about it and, and do it as a hobby. You know, I, I, I want to get back to, uh, I think all that's really great stuff that Abby and, and Jason both shared, but I want to get back to the, the original question because I had a supervisor tell me something one time that stuck with me uh, my entire career. And he said, uh, Jason, you're going to safety our way out of doing this job. So you're going to, you're going to put so much safety rules and regs and equipment on this that we're not going to physically be able to accomplish this job. And I think that, that what you said in the beginning of the idea of taking that, taking it away, you know, sometimes we, we do that. We, we build so many policies, we build so many rules, we build so much equipment in there that they cannot actually do the job and we're creating more of a risk than, than, than we're helping. So sometimes we got to like, like wipe the slate clean and look at it with fresh eyes and talk to the workers and see how they're actually doing it and, and how they're actually performing the work and then try to determine what those policies and procedures need to be in a, in a, in a simple manner to get it accomplished, but also at the same time, keep the people safe. Because as Jason alluded to earlier in the podcast, you know, we, we as, as workers and as, as employees, the company needs to make money or we don't have jobs. So if we've put so much stuff on, on their plate that they can't do the work and we can't make money as a company, then, you know, all of us are going to be out of a job. Absolutely. Well, this has been great. Uh, some really great discussions here. This has been a lot of fun. So uh, thank you again very much, uh, Abby, Jason, and Jason for joining us today on this special Safety Culture Week episode of EHS on Tap. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us.
Absolutely. Now, if you enjoyed our conversation today with the Safety Justice League and want to hear more, you're in luck. Be sure to register for our upcoming live panel discussion with Abby Ferry, Jason Lucas, and Jason Maldonado at our next EHS Now virtual event, taking place on Wednesday, November 11th, 2020. From 2 to 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time, we'll be sitting down with the Safety Justice League once again to discuss the latest developments in safety as well as best practices to help you become a safety superhero for your organization and its workforce. Uh, Register today at the links on this podcast episode's EHS Daily Advisor webpage. And in the meantime, to learn more about the Safety Justice League, visit their website at www.safetyjusticeleague.net. And as always, keep an eye out for new episodes of EHS on Tap and keep reading the EHS Daily Advisor to stay on top of your safety and environmental compliance obligations, get the latest in best practices, and keep your finger on the pulse of all things related to the EHS industry. Until next time, this is Justin Scase for EHS on Tap. Bye.